why do you have your grandfather's bedpan filled with movie titles? <laughs> Welcome to Will Watches Corey's Canon, a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Will watches movies from my personal canon and tells me if they're any good. I'm Corey. I'm Will. Hey, Will. Let me do that again. I'm Will. Hey, Will. I'm Will. <laughs> I'm Will. That was really good. How you doing, Will? Tired. Tired? Yeah, I'm tired too. I had a long day. I got hit. By a car, <laughs> a car, <laughs> and I was—I got hit by the front of a car, and I was tired. Ah. And then I got hit by the back of a car, and I was exhausted. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, that's an old, yeah. It's an old folks joke. It's an old person joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's uh, thunderstorming here in Murfreesboro. So if you hear any cool sound effects in the background, that's what that is. Fuck you, thunder. Right. Is that from um, Thunder Buddies? Yeah, that's what I thought. Ted. Ted. The they made two of those, which is weird. Ted two. Ted talks. <laughs> <laughs> the Ted talks. Yeah, I didn't know. I saw the I, I saw the first one begrudgingly because I hate Seth MacFarlane. Oh, we're going. We're going to get in on Seth MacFarlane tonight, and it's actually interesting because of it's tied into what we're covering. The Redenbacher, yeah, because of Orville, yeah, which is what you just did with your joke. I get it. <laughs> um, so uh, we are covering Dean Parasot's 1999 film Galaxy Quest. Um, so then the trailer will play. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. Please leave that in. So then the trailer will play. So I actually saw this in the theater in 1999 when it came out with a friend of mine named Chris. Um, I had no interest in it. I had no knowledge of it. But we went to the theater and it was between this and something else that his parents ended up seeing. And I know that we just didn't want to see whatever his parents were seeing. Congo. It was probably Congo. But um, So we decided to see this movie. Uh, I, I, you know, I like science fiction, so I figured I'll probably enjoy this. Um, didn't really know what it was about at all and went in and just loved the movie from start to finish as a Star Trek fan. This movie is a pretty brilliant spoof, uh, loving spoof. Um, it really pokes holes in all the things, uh, that aren't so great about Star Trek, especially the original series. However, it does it in like a loving way. Um, and I remember being, Immediately enamored with the movie. 
I got it on VHS when it came out and then uh, years later got it on DVD. Um, but it sort of became a movie that I would watch um, whenever I, w- I would watch it when I was sick. Um, it was it was kind of a comforting movie, which I also also do that with Star Trek the show. I watch Star Trek The Next Generation when I'm sick usually. Um, and the it's grown in my affection over the years as I've kind of really begun to appreciate the layers of the references and the uh, characterization um, where those, you know, um, where the inspiration for that stuff is coming from. Um, So it's been, since I saw it in the theater, I think it's been kind of firmly, firmly in my canon. So that's really, that's my experience and orientation to Galaxy Quest. Um, So Will, would you like to share your experience with Galaxy Quest? I saw it in the theater as well. Um, when I was 12 or 13, whenever it came out, 99. And I don't, I remember having a generally positive feeling about it, but I didn't remember anything else about it. I kind of forgot it existed. Although I guess I had a, some sort of knowledge that it kind of has a cult status mm-hmm. because of its connection with Star Trek, which is, you know, a cult movies cult movie right that's definitely grown over the years too it was um it's they there was actually a poll in 2015 or something and they rated it as the seventh best star trek movie i i read the wikipedia <laughs> page yeah, the other day it's like actually that, yeah. higher than other real star trek right movies. right and i just now for the first time it, after you suggested this movie um got the joke of the title mm-hmm. star trek galaxy quest like it's the same thing and and i was i had that on the tip of my brain because my friend ryan and i were like joking around about uh, at work the other day about oh have you heard of that uh old 70s show about the scientists who kill ghouls called ghoul zappers and it's like the theme song's like when inexplicable events take place in your community (laughs) who's your primary contact (laughs) Ghoul zappers, <laughs> similar to the uh, similar to the adolescent radioactive karate terrapins. <laughs> and they had this like weird uh, sort of master who taught them everything. It was like this squirrel named Master Woodchip. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were coming up with stupid things like that, right? Of just like you know one-offs from these popular shows, and then I. Oh, that's what Galaxy Quest did in mm-hmm. their in titling their movie. Yeah, so that's all. I, uh, that was my previous experience. I was a little surprised at this turn, this recommendation, this uh, installment of the podcast because we'd done what uh, all three were rated R before, mm-hmm. right? Blade Runner, They Live, yes, Don't yes. Look Now. Yeah, Don't Look Now, a hard R for sure with that with that boner jam scene. Yeah. Um, I remember it being PG because I'm pretty sure it would have been scandalous for me to see a PG 13 movie, even when I was 13. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's what I remember about it. Generally positive feelings. I used to like home improvement when I was a kid. Um, subsequently I've Googled Tim Allen and realized he was <sighs> a notorious that. drug dealer. 
He, uh, yeah, he went to jail for two life. two years, and the only reason he went to, got that reduced of a sentence was because he snitched yeah, on some he, other drug he, dealers. Exactly, and the judge moved him to a different prison because he knew he was going to get killed. I'm like, mm-hmm. the tool man was about to fashion himself a shank. Yeah, he's. I thought you were going to say not that you found out he was a drug dealer, but that you found out he's like a super right wing conservative. Oh, he endorsed Trump. Yeah, he's it's like, like oh, he went to jail then recovered. I was like, yeah, he endorsed Trump thirty five years after that. He has not recovered at all. His uh, his new his show. He's worse. Last Man Standing. That's on. It's been on for like fifteen years. Yeah. Uh, it's just an excuse for him to like spout right wing propaganda uh, about you know like. W- women's proper role in the household. Yeah, like, it, it's definitely a sort of uh, spiritual cousin to like Fox News. It's yeah. like it's the same audience. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's trying to show like the the version that version of an American family, like yeah. the real Americans. And you know, honestly, uh, a few years ago, I I grew up loving Home Improvement and went back and and watched it like last year, or the year before, and it is just awful. Like it is chock full of misogyny and like homophobia and it's pretty disgusting i don't doubt that for a second i haven't watched that show in years it's really really disgusting and I, I do remember seeing a rerun on tv and seeing just like from a production standpoint i was like was this made in someone's backyard oh yeah there's or, or like like someone just threw this together the sets are awful just i mean terrible. there's like two two sets like how did this pass for entertainment mm-hmm. in the 90s and he was i mean he was huge he had that string this was like this was kind of the tail end of it but he was in you know he had like the santa claus movies toy story uh his tv show he was really like kind of an it guy for a while yeah yeah as i was watching last night i was thinking did i just watch a movie in which tim allen is shirtless at one point. Mm-hmm. It just seems absurd now yeah, yeah. to for a an American to sit down and watch an American film <laughs> in which Tim Allen is shirtless. Like, what am I doing? What is? Why did I make this choice? Oh. So you managed to get your shirt off. Yeah. So it took me a while. As I was saying earlier, it <laughs> took me a while to track this film down at the the new place where I'm living. I have the internet, but it's not strong enough right now to uh, uh, stream. And so I needed a hard copy, a physical copy. And I went to a bunch of used media places, local used media places. Shout out to Media Rerun. Shout out to The Great Escape. Shout out to Myriad Pawn Shops. Um, (laughs) And no dice. Barnes & Noble didn't have it. Walmart didn't have it. Also, fuck Walmart. And ended up going to Family Video, mm-hmm. which is like a fever dream of mid-90s, <laughs> you know, nostalgia. And they had it for like 50 cents. The guy was like, oh, it's been a while since you've rented a movie here. You've got like a $14 late fee. I'm going to go ahead and take $10 off of that. And I said, okay. Yeah. Like, what? what am I wearing that makes you think I need... Yeah, <laughs> to reduce like that sentence. Wearing yeah. a sh- yeah, maybe not your best shirt or something. Yeah, you had a hole in it. I don't know. You smelled weird that day, but I got it. Okay, yeah. Well, why don't you tell me tell me about this? Other than feeling weird about Tim Allen shirtless, tell me about your experience watching it this time. Let me tell you. I've got a. I, I want to start with a sort of uh, 
an important distinction okay. in talking about uh, movies. It really talking about any sort of uh, product. I think there's like two basic kind of sets of questions or questions to that you have to differentiate between. So one, to what degree does a film achieve its goals suggested by the film itself? That's one sort of criteria. The second one, uh, which I think is more interesting, are the, are the film's goals worth achieving? If so, why? If not, why not? Because I think there are some films whose goals, it might be better if they weren't achieved. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so it's two very different uh, types of questions. And so that's just to set up me saying, within that first criteria, to what degree does the film achieve its goals, which are suggested by the film itself? I think Galaxy Quest definitely does that. It's kind of, especially in 1999, it's kind of slick, pretty hip, self-aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know most of the jokes land. Uh, the cast is recognizable. It it ticks all the all the boxes. And and like I said, I remember being twelve years old and being like, that was cool. And then, then going to Dairy Queen or whatever and not mm-hmm. thinking about it for thirty <laughs> years, twenty years. Um on the you know, towards the other criteria, are the film's goals worth achieving? No. <laughs> A resounding no. <laughs> um so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit on this one. I, uh, I that's good. I'm excited to hear it, listeners. If you hear any friction, that's the friction of two different opinions on Galaxy Quest. <laughs> um, because I say that because some of the things you were saying earlier about why you like it. Mm-hmm. are like the exact reasons I hate it. Okay. Okay. So like ta- you were talking about how the references, how you got all the references. It's like, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, okay. So, so if we're in th- within that first, that first set of criteria, yeah, it works because that's what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. But okay, let's jump to the second and say, why is that worth doing? Um, Within that first criteria, it's worth doing because it maintains your attention and so you'll pay for the ticket and maybe rent it and Mm -hmm. you make money. Second set of criteria, what is new about this movie? What is is worthy? Why is is this movie worth spending $45 million to make? Mm-hmm. I wrote a bunch of mean stuff about this movie and, and, and maybe this will give us a jumping off point. Sure. To sort of, yeah. to sort of jump, jump me. Okay. He doesn't understand. Explain as you would a child. Galaxy quest is a product highly indicative of our late capitalist postmodern consumer culture a movie whose actors portray television actors whose status as washed up casts them absurdly as the underdogs compared to who? 
We watch as trivial televisual culture sucks its own dick in celebration of its ability to make us watch. A movie that functions like bad stand-up comedy, artlessly jumping from one cliche to the next, cashing in on and coasting by on the cheap, superficial thrill of recognition correctly assumed and further reinforced in its audience. A movie that... (laughs) I like this one. A movie that missed its calling as a cut-for-time SNL skit. This next one's not true, but I'm going to say it anyway just because I like it. A film with a cast only all-star in the sense that it elicits a nausea similar to the Smash Mouth song. Youch! Alan Rickman? Alan Rickman and Sam Rockwell exempted. Sigourney Weaver? <laughs> I've, got, I've got some things about Sigourney. Okay. Well, her character. Rain Wilson in a role that's completely inconsequential. I saw that. Justin Long's screen debut as well. Was it debut? It was. Huh. Like I said, I, 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 I uh, introduced that by saying it's not true. I just thought of that. And I was like, I'm going to say that. It's not true. It's a good cast. Tim Allen fucking sucks. Um, it's a film which hipply and infuriatingly deconstructs tropes even as it employs them. Sigourney Weaver's Gwen recognizes her character's one-dimensionality and exploitation as a sex object and then unleashes her sweater pups for the better part of the film. We are supposed to see this irony and laugh at the filmmaker's hip joke because self-awareness is its own virtue and end-all, be-all in the brand of entertainment this adolescent film represents. Really, this is a form of cynicism. A film whose, <laughs> a film whose cuts are like those of botched surgery. Local imprecisions giving way to global instability. A prototype for the geekification of American culture that followed in the aughts. That a bazinga doesn't manifest out of pure spiritual brotherhood is as merciful as it is surprising. (laughs) A movie without which we might not have been subjected to Seth MacFarlane's regressive shit show, The Orville. So thanks. Bravo! Bravo. Okay. There's some things in there. Yes. And I, so I, I think that we talked about, we talked about this on the last episode where Pauline Kael's opinion of the film was heavily influenced by the culture of her moment when she wrote the film. I think seeing this movie now, it is completely artless and in no way clever or hip at all because there have been countless other films that have done what it's doing better, more interestingly, and more uh, with more integrity. But what I'm calling into question is not how slickly it does that, but the the motives in in being hip and clever and self aware, mm-hmm. like towards what end? Well, so I think that there's there's two ways to read this film, and I choose to read it in the second way. Because it makes me feel better about it. The first way is yes, this is a this is this is visual masturbation for Star Trek people to be like, oh, I get that. He's the red shirt. He's supposed to die. And then like seeing these tropes play out, and then like you said, the characters ending up embodying the characters that they played on the show. Yada yada yada. We're all very familiar with this. Or 
And I think this is this is maybe for me what justifies its existence. It was a very early comment and examination of fandom. And I think that fan cultures are very, very interesting and worth study. And fandom is especially very interesting and worthy of study. And I think that this movie was, it, it, it appeared to be lampooning fans and fandoms of this kind, but ultimately reveals itself to show that their passion and their love is worthwhile. Right, and the, the lampooning, the, or the seeming lampooning of it, is actually just a rhetorical strategy to get the viewer on its side so that it can make that endearing point right. at the end. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't think this movie is propaganda for fan culture because, look, it shows these guys uh, talking shit about everybody in the bathroom, you know, mm-hmm. in that early scene. So... I, I don't really think it's a lampoon. I think it's a the lampoon is a rhetorical maneuver okay. in order to make an an endearing portrait of this sort of culture. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and here's here's my point. I'm gonna you, you know we're gonna talk about this probably in very different ways. And, and and all I'm doing here really is saying this is where my fucking brain goes when mm-hmm. I when I watch a movie like this, which is rare now. You know. Right. Um, to celebrate fan culture is to intentionally or not ratify the conditions which gave rise to it. Radical fan culture is a symptom of the related cultural crises of uh, cultural crises of identity and meaning, both results of the death of public education and the church, as well as the corporate colonization of both the physical and mythological space. <laughs> Wonderful. So what I'm saying is that to make a movie that uh, sort of bolsters, uh, you know, this, uh, to me, and maybe I'd feel completely different, I doubt it, but maybe I'd feel completely different if I liked Star Trek, which I've seen a few episodes of Star Trek over the year, but I just mostly just don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I've never, never cared about it. Um, and, and that's not to say I'm not a fan. You know, I'm a fan of things all the time, but I think what you see in this, like, like I call it radical fan culture, where it's like something you're going to devote some, a good portion of your time to the, the sort of Marxist bent in me is very troubled by that because that is bolstering a whole lot of unseen things, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of unseen assumptions about what is normal in culture. Uh, it's like I sort of hint at it. It's kind of, and, and Matt and I have talked about this on, on, on the other podcast about how, big sort of corporate entertainment wants to own your childhood. You know, Disney owns your fucking childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so big, big enterprises, no pun intended, nah. like Star Trek, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, monopolize our early years to where we start using, you know, that we develop a kind of shorthand, within um, a certain show and, and it becomes a sort of um, 
social marker or an in joke. Um, and that's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if, if that is how we come to understand ourselves, and that's what I'm talking about when I say uh, crises of identity and meaning, if we're getting our stories and our identities, you know, people dressing up as God knows what, however many times a year going to these things, um, there's nothing wrong with the, you know, the obvious construct of that other than these are constructs that are controlled by corporations and, and the, the bottom line is, is profit. You know, these are, this is a consumer activity. You know, any sort of, uh, uh, what do you call them? Like the fan shows they go to in this movie? Conventions. Like conventions. Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, the sort of cynic in me, but uh, obviously I think it's, it's realistic. Sort of, it, they're just trying to sell shit. You know, they just, they just want to sell costumes and DVDs and mm -hmm. action figures and things like that. And so... It, to me, it strikes me as a little bit sad that the thing that people get meaning and and even you know I'll admit community and that's that's a good this you know there are good things about this and my, my problem is is that the good things are coming from bad places and there should be places we can get our identities and meaning and community that that are not um, beholden to people sitting around a room deciding whether or not Sigourney Weaver can say fuck or not. Mm -hmm. You know, there's got to be something beyond that, that we, to which we can turn. Uh, and like, like I say, I point to the death of, uh, you know, school's not a place where you learn anything meaningful. It doesn't seem to me church is certainly not a place where uh, a lot of people are having anything that feels important going on that I can tell. Uh, but I don't think Star Wars conventions are any replacement. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and again, I'm not saying that a convention, I'm not saying that community is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that our communities are underwritten by the Disney Corporation or whoever is a bad thing. Well, okay. I, I see, uh, sure, it would be great if we lived in a world where we could find these things in other places. And perhaps there are certain things. But I think that it's there is a beauty in that people are able to find those things through... While these things are products, certainly, there, there's you cannot definitively say that there is nothing artful or beautiful being done within these constructs. You know, they're, they're, the writers of these television shows aren't necessarily invested in... They're not trying to sell you something every time. Sure, there are shows that exist purely as products, but I think that the reason why these fans have become so passionate well, well, about these... Show, shows only exist because of commercials. Right, I know, yeah. but I'm just saying that there's still, there's still art to be had within television, within, sure, sure. within film, I mean, any of these things. And I think that people are able to connect to those meaningful things. They find the meaningful things, regardless of whether or not it was within what was meant to be a product. I think those conventions are about 
finding beauty and meaning in these things and then sharing that with other people, creating that community. While I can see your point that it's problematic, that it is being, uh, you know, uh, there are, the puppeteer is a giant corporation. The, I think that it's still a, a, a valuable and important thing that these fan cultures and these fandoms exist. And I think that, I mean, you know, we get, we get a, a amazing me- meaning out of a book. A book is a product. I mean, it's being sure. sold. It's, it's, you know, there, there can be art within, within commerce. <laughs> um, and I think that, but there's, uh, and you hear that argument, but, and, and I hear that argument, it makes a certain amount of sense, but I, I don't think it's any, I don't think you have much pushback from the idea that a book, yes, as a product, you know, is a commercial product, but it has less just, just by, by its nature has less artistic constraint on it just because no book has ever cost $45 million to make. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it makes me, I wrote a, I wrote a, a paper in grad school comparing uh, Raymond Carver's, the, the adaptation of Raymond Carver's short story, Why Don't You Dance, into the Will Ferrell shit show, Everything Must Go. Mm-hmm. And, and what I was sort of, getting at in that paper is that a four page Raymond Carver story does not have to please anyone. It's okay. If everyone hates that story, Mm -hmm. obviously he doesn't write it. So everyone will hate it, but he doesn't write it. So everyone will love it either. And so everyone will experience some catharsis, but to maybe reflect more honestly on their lives. And, And that movie is just filled with, sort of coming of age tropes of, you know, well, here's some obstacles and I've got to overcome them mm-hmm. and uh, I'll, I'll be okay in the end sort of thing. And, and that is not what that story is at all. It's, it's, it's an unfaithful uh, adaptation. And of course, you know, adaptation scholars will take a giant shit on, you know, using, fidelity as the only means of, of mm-hmm. criticism. But what I was, what I'm trying to get at is that while all in our turbo capitalist economy, uh, everything's a product. Yes. But there are certain products that are less beholden to that economy. Mm-hmm. And, but one medium that is extremely beholden to it is uh, Hollywood Mm-hmm. comedy for sure uh especially like a big a, a bigger budget science fiction comedy mm-hmm. you know you can make a comedy for for not that much but when it's a, a sci-fi comedy it's going to cost you some money right uh so l- like i said we're we're sort of talking about two different things like on a on its own terms if you just if you just shut shut that part of your brain off and like you said you watch this when you're when you're sick, mm-hmm. you know what my go-to is when I'm sick, or it's usually hungover in the bedroom with. Uh, oh, really? Uh, Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson. I don't know hmm. why. That would be a interesting conversation to have. Sick movies, yeah. And why? What it is? I wonder. Anyway, on its own terms, Galaxy Quest in the '90s, at least, was was entertaining. Now, with my corrupted. 
you know, my corrupted brain, I'm all I can think about are these sort of larger kind of commercial aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like I said, the, the sort of Marxist in me is just like, won't allow me to call this thing good. Right. You know? Well, no. And I, 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 I totally understand that because I think that a large part of the appeal now for me is the feeling, even just the feeling of community I get from watching it as a member of that particular fan culture. I've always counted myself among fan cultures and I've, I'm part of fandoms and that's, I've always been okay with that. I never really thought about the, like you said, sort of the corporate overlord aspect of it, which I do find troubling now that you've yeah. kind of brought it to my attention. Well, the, the second there's an ordinary people fandom culture, I'm in. <laughs> I'm going to write some fan fiction. You should. Um, you could probably do, I mean, you could write some fan fiction just about the sweaters in that movie. Because that's probably the best sweater sweater game I've on ever point. seen. Judd Hirsch's sweaters. Outrageous. Yeah, I agree. Um, sweaters. Well, I will say I didn't expect you to enjoy this movie, so I'm not surprised. Um, I I enjoy your perspective because I had not thought of it that way at all. Um, I've never, and perhaps it's just the blindness that comes from some of this adoration in these properties. The, the anesthetic of familiarity. Mm-hmm. You know, something you're very close to, you've grown up with, you don't even think to right. think about it a second time. And I'm sure there's movies that I love from my childhood that I just unquestionably say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I love that movie. And if I watch it, it'd be like, hmm. That's not too bad. Do you know how I found out Alan Rickman died? How? I read about it in Time magazine. So, Will, do you think uh, you're ready to give this thing a rating? I think I am. All right. Well, we'll have that rating when we get back from this brief word from our sponsors. So, if you guys are looking for a way to support the podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Canon, And there you can choose three different levels of support. You can pay $1 per episode, and that gets you the Friends of the Podcast ranking, which will get you mentioned in the written credits of the episode. And then there's the BFF level, which is $5 per episode, and you will have your name immortalized in the written credits of the episode and a shout-out at the end of the show. So, So consider that. Then there is the third level, which is the Friends with Benefits level. This gets you the name mentioned in the written credits, the name mentioned in the show, on the show, at the end of the show, but also you will get exclusive access to bonus episodes, extended episodes, outtakes, and other super fun recorded material from your favorite podcast hosts, Will and Corey. So patreon.com slash canon. Anything is appreciated. Patreon.com slash Will Watches Corey's Canon. So I was Googling on the way over here because I couldn't remember the word for the thing that uh, hangs above a baby's crib 
that sort of dazzles them as they go to sleep. It's called a mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, what I'm getting at here is this is a clear <laughs> womb room. And Galaxy Quest is just the blinking lights of a child's mobile <laughs> to distract him into oblivion. <laughs> um, and like I said, it's interesting that you say you watch this when you're sick mm-hmm. as, as if to just coax you into, you know, it literally comforts me. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like a, it's right. like a blanket. It's yeah. A blanket of a movie. It's a blanket of a movie. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. If you are not, uh, you, you shouldn't come into this movie looking for anything other than um, good memories of a show that you maybe liked in the <laughs> 80s or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, All right. So, yeah, it's a womb room. Mm-hmm. This uh, come come out into the light. You you said you hadn't seen it in like two years. Yeah, probably like all the way through. Like I haven't yeah. watched it in two years. So I want you to watch it again. I wish I should have. I mean, you know, if I was a professional, I would have watched it for the show. But I don't know. It's almost it's, it's almost better because you have to defend your your childhood. This, <laughs> yeah, I know this memory. Because maybe if, you, if some of these, be. if you watch them, you might be like, oh yeah. Well, the second time I watched it. I noticed this, but I still like it. But now you're like, no, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> no, my mom loves me. I mean, no, uh, I like this movie. Wait. Um, okay. Well, um, one other thing that we wanted to add, we are going to slightly change one of our uh, rankings. It was our um, ambivalent ranking. Uh, we wanted to try to keep the rhyme scheme going. So, Will, do you want to tell them? The obvious the rhyme presented itself. I, did we think of this or did Jensi tell us like, hey, duh? I think we thought of it that night. Okay. So. Be- I, yeah, I think you're right. But then I think additionally, Jensi was like, hey, duh, call it a drinker. Oh, yeah. Because we like mentioned drinking. Anyway, it's a drinker. Yeah. Because it's a movie that you have to uh, be intoxicated to enjoy mm-hmm. or to stomach. Um, so we wanted to give a super special shout out to our very first patron. Uh, you heard the commercial about our Patreon. There are different support levels and we got our very first BF. No, we got our very first friend with benefits of Uh, the podcast. So just a reminder for our listeners, this gets you a written shout-out in the credits of the episode, but also a shout-out on the show, which is about to happen right now. What's, we his, want what's to, his name? His name is Nick Payson. Nick, Nick Payson, Payson, we, we hereby, hereby shout, shout you out. out. Nick Payson, our we very first... We need your help. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, our very first uh, Patreon saint uh, of the show. Nick Payson. Nick Payson. Um, thank you so much for your support. We are now just a little under halfway to my goal of being able to financially support this podcast so that it pays for itself, uh, which would be super cool. All right. So another really exciting thing that we're going to introduce here on the show, uh, instead of me sort of controlling the future of the show by telling Will what we're watching next week, I have... Like the corporate overlords that made Galaxy Quest. Exactly. And perhaps that's why I felt that way, because that had been... uh, inserted into my mind um 
I have uh, created not a complete list, certainly, but a, a, a as many as I could think of before we started the show. I wrote the titles of the movies on little pieces of paper. I've got them in a bowl. We're going to do this on the show right now. Will is going to reach into the bowl and pull out the movie that we are going to cover on our next episode. This All is right, so don't look into the bowl. You guys can hear the shaky and just get yourself a movie. If you look into the bowl long enough, the bowl looks back at you. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that. <laughs> All right, we got it. All right, folks, here we go. So our next movie will be... The Shining. Yeah! Right. That's exciting. I love The Shining. I'm not going to tell you how I feel about yeah, The don't, Shining. Yeah, that's true. Because that would ruin everything. That's the whole point of the show. The Shining is one of the greatest films of all time. I look forward to talking about that on the next episode. That'll be really great. Um, but until then, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go to our website. Go to our Patreon Give us some money if you like the show. Nick Payson! Nick Payson did it. Don't you want to be like Nick? All right, guys. So if you want, in the next two weeks, why don't you go rewatch The Shining and uh, join us on the next episode when we talk about it. And throw galaxy quests in the fucking fireplace and watch Satan rise from the flames in the form of a shirtless Tim Is Sam Rockwell supposed to be high the whole time? It's like he's supposed to be high, but they